your Bibles this morning to Psalm chapter 88. Psalm 88. And we are so excited to be in week two of a four-week series entitled, I Want to Believe, But. I Want to Believe, But. And we started last week, kind of starting off the series, uh, really talking about what does it mean to even answer that question or to engage in that question in so many people's lives. And what are we even talking about for four weeks now? What are we going to be talking about, rather, for the next four weeks? And so what we talked about last week as we were getting into this series was uh, that there are those in our communities, those in our lives, those in our area of influence that want to believe. They have a desire to believe, but something is keeping them from belief. Maybe it's a hurdle that they're facing or something that happened in their life. And for some reason, they're just not able to really believe in God. And we talked about it last week that, that we're not talking about those that are your, you know, atheists or those that are very, you know, opposed to God or I hate anything to do with God or I think it's foolishness. We're not talking about those that are kind of in opposition to God per se in their thinking and speak or speech speaking. But we're saying those that are kind of on the fence, they maybe grew up in church, or they're kind of familiar with the gospel. They want to try to believe, but there's something holding them back. And last week, we kind of began by discovering that I want to believe in God, but I have this view of God that isn't accurate. We talked about this last week, that, that I have this view in God that isn't really accurate, and that's the God that I'm having a hard time believing in. Most people that are seeking to really believe and want to believe, they're not, their struggles and their hurdles are not with the God of the Bible, Oftentimes, as you're talking to people, their struggle or their, their hurdle is with a, an image of God that they've created or they've heard kind of preached or taught to them. And so uh, an example of this, what we talked about last week, that, that there's this on-demand God that people try to believe in but just can't. What do we mean by an on-demand God? Well, that's a God that we've created where that God does whatever we say, whenever we say to do it, when we say to do it. He's on-demand. And when he's not on demand, we get angry, we get upset, we get frustrated. Here's an example. I prayed about this, but you didn't do it. I asked you to do this, and you didn't. Now, we just sang a song about, I've seen you move mountains, and I believe you'll do it again. But guess what? If we're being honest, he's the one that chooses when he moves the mountain. I don't tell him, okay, come on, let's go. I need this moved. We've got to remember our place and that, yes, we are children of God in Christ. We're in his presence. He is ours. We are his. But nowhere in our salvation experience do we take his place. Nowhere in the gospel does he say, receive salvation so that you can be God over me. No, we say, no, I receive your salvation because you are God over me. And so we learned last week that there is no such thing as on-demand God. People struggle to believe in on-demand God because he doesn't exist. And it's a wrong view of God that somewhere has been preached or taught or encouraged to you. And that's something you've had to wrestle with. There's no such thing as on-demand God. God is always loving. His ways are above our ways. His presence is always available to those in Christ but he is not now, nor will he ever be an on-demand God. And so we learned this last week. We kind of jumped into that right off the gate as far as how do we handle that in our lives. Well, we learned that, again, God is always loving. When God refuses to do something in your life that you know he has the power to do, it is not because he doesn't love you. 
We said this last week with parents and children. There are times my children will ask things of me that I very much have the power to do, but I will not do because maybe I'm trying to grow something in them. I want them to mature and get stronger in this area. Or maybe I don't do it because I know, based on experience, based on the bigger picture, I know that even though they think that's what they need, it's really not what is best for them. And so at times in our lives, we have to really make sure that we're right in our thinking on this. When God doesn't do something that we want him to do, that we know he has the power to do, it is not because he doesn't love you. And we have to believe that by faith. We have to believe and know God does not have to prove his goodness to you over and over again. He's already demonstrated his love towards you in that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. God is not bound to keep proving his love to us. He said, I've shown you love and it's in this that I gave my life for you. That you can have a relationship with me, that your sins could be forgiven. He has already proved his love and goodness to us. We have to just receive by faith that it's actually true. We ended last week talking about the presence of God, the presence of God in our lives. And that's where we're going to kind of pick up this morning. I want to start there this morning in dealing with our second distorted, wrong view of God. And we talked about it last week, kind of give you a little teaser to where we're going to go. This week we're talking about goosebump God. Goosebump God. Now you might say, what in the world is that? Now I'm not talking about goosebumps, the books, okay? We're not going there, okay? But I'm talking about those, you know, the, the, the desire that we need to feel something. And I, I mean, in the video before the message, it's, you know, I, I didn't get as much out of it as you did. You know, I don't think I did it right. I think, I mean, you were so moved and I wasn't moved at all. I didn't, I didn't get the goosebumps from church today. I sing and nothing happens. I, I read the Bible and I don't get anything. I mean, some people are moved and I don't feel anything. And I'm not getting the goosebumps. And so, you know what? I just, I just can't believe in that. I need to feel something. I need to really experience something when I go to church. I mean, many people choose churches based on this. And many people choose churches based on how that church experience made them feel. The goosebumps, whether I got them or not. Again, what we mean by this is when someone will say, I want to believe in God, but I just didn't feel anything when singing or when reading the Bible. I just don't feel anything when I pray. I don't feel this or that. The truth is, in Christ, we are always in God's presence. That's an awesome truth, by the way. In Christ, you are always in God's presence, and not because of you, but because you are in Christ. Do you know why God receives your prayers? Do you know why God hears and answers your prayers? The ones that he agree with his will? Because you are in Christ. Now we have access to the very throne room of God, not because I'm good enough, not because I've shown I'm strong enough, not because I'm pure enough or holy enough, but because God allows me and you into his presence as sons and daughters because we are in Christ. It's amazing the access we have that when you bow your head and you say, Heavenly Father, you are ushered into the very presence of God. And he hears you. He has compassion over you. And like a father with a child, he wants to be there for you. He wants to come alongside you. And he gives us his Holy Spirit to do just that. The paraclete, the one that is the comforter. And we have all of these many blessings because we are in Christ. 
That's truth by God's word. We are always in the presence of God when we are in Christ. We are one with him as he is with the Father. But the truth is also, there will be times in our life where we may not feel like we're in the presence of God. We may not feel like that's really true. So if you don't always feel God's presence, let me encourage you with something very real. You're not alone. Some of you need to write that down if you're taking notes. If you don't always feel God's presence, you're not alone. We're in Psalm chapter 88, and I want to look at a, an amazing couple of verses here that just are very genuine, very real. And many of us, myself included, have thought these things and battled with these things as well. Psalm 88, verse 13. Listen to what the psalmist says. But unto thee have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer prevent thee. Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest thou thy face from me? Man, I think we've all been there. I think we've all felt that at times in our life, especially as a follower of Christ. We've all said these kind of things. And so I want to ask you this morning, let's just be real with God. Let's just open our hearts and minds. And it's both. It's not hearts or minds. You can feel and think in church. It's okay. I want to encourage you to be thinking this morning. But I'll open our hearts and minds to God and say, God, make me aware of what kind of God I'm trying to believe in. Help me to understand, am I really just basing it on how I feel about this or that? Or am I basing it on the truth of your word? And then that leads to feelings and emotions. I'm going to ask that we'd pray. I know Pastor Greg already prayed for our service, but I want to just pray and ask God to make us aware of these things this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this morning, and I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for recording these things in your word for us to be encouraged and challenged with. I thank you that in Christ we have every spiritual blessing, that in Christ we are seated with you, that in Christ we are holy and spotless, that in Christ we are sanctified and pure, that in Christ we have all that we could ever want and so much more, that in Christ the wrath of God is not on us, that we have been saved and redeemed from that reality, and that we are set for heaven so that we may stand and glorify you because we do not receive salvation by anything that we have done. It is purely a gift of God that by faith, through grace, when received, we are your children. But Father, if we're being honest this morning, even though we know those things to be true, we don't always feel that way. We don't always feel like we're in your presence. And so I pray that wherever we are this morning, as was already encouraged when Renee opened up this morning, that we would just, that we would dictate to our own selves how we're going to feel and think about a situation. And that you would encourage us, Lord. And I pray for those that are really battling with this right now. I pray for those that are really struggling with this idea of not feeling God's presence in their life. I pray that they would talk to someone that they can look to spiritual wisdom and guidance. I pray that they would seek out the prayers of the church and those that can pray with them. I pray that they would know they're not alone this morning. And so, Father, again, may you be glorified in all of this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Here the psalmist shares a deep truth that speaks to the reality of feeling casted off by God. Casted off by God. God, why have you cast out my soul? 
I love reading the Psalms because when I read the Psalms, I feel a lot more spiritual. Because I think some things that I'm like, that's not a spiritual thought. That wasn't very Christian. And then I read the Psalms and I'm like, they're saying the same stuff. I'm all right. I'm in good company. I'm not alone. The resounding question that we can all relate with is, why are you hiding your face from me? One translation says it so well, says it this way. But I cry to you for help, Lord. This is another translation of Psalm 88, 13 and 14. But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? I'm just going to be real. I've prayed prayers that made me feel that way. I've prayed prayers where I feel like they ain't going nowhere. They're hitting the ceiling and coming back. I've prayed prayers where I'm like, God, I know you can. But no, no, God, but God, I know you can. Why won't you? I've prayed those prayers. We've all been in these positions. And here's the biggest lie the enemy tells you and starts to come up inside of you. Man, you're the only one. Nobody else at church has got this problem. When you go to church, everybody's got it figured out. We're all good. Oh, no, I never struggle with that. I I'm, I'm always feel like me and God are in line and in step and 100% together. No way. But everyone in this room, if they're a follower of Christ, we've all, at some point in our life, whether to a great degree or a minor degree, whether we verbalized it or just thought it in our own heads. Because somehow we think when I just think it in my head and I don't say it out loud, it's not nearly as unspiritual as the one that said it, right? No, I'm good. I never actually said that. And I've always wondered that when Jesus would, you know, know the hearts of men. That's why I would be terrified to be around Jesus, like in the flesh. I'd see Jesus come and be like, I got to go. Why? He's going to open me up like a can of worms, man. I don't want nothing to do with that guy, man. If you knew what was going on in here right now, you would not want to be near me, okay? He's going to rip me up. But man, when we understand that we all are there, we all battle, we all struggle with these things, then now we can begin to get rid of that excuse and say, I'm the only one. Instead of saying, no, I'm not the only one. So now that I know I'm not the only one, what do I do about it? How do I respond to these things? So many in Scripture cried out to God and felt as though God was distant. However, I love that so often we see those individuals not ignoring that reality, but continued to pray and look to God for help. When you see psalmists or individuals in Scripture say, God, where are you? They don't walk away from God. They ask questions. They ask the tough questions. But then they say, but God, I'm not going anywhere because I want you. I want your presence in my life. I don't get it. I don't like it. But I'm not going anywhere because you've been, you've been too good to me for me to walk away. I just don't get this. And I believe that's what we need to make a decision on this morning, that even though we don't understand, we don't feel his presence, we need to say, God, but, but you've been too good to me. Now, maybe you're sitting there saying, well, he hasn't been that good to me. If you know Christ is your Savior, he's been better to you than you understand. He has shown you grace when you were his enemy. He has shown you forgiveness when you deserve wrath. He is so good to you. And I know we go through seasons where he doesn't seem good, but again, we go back to the reality. He doesn't have to prove his goodness. He already has done that. So you don't have to stay there. That's the point. We can acknowledge that we feel distant, that God feels distant from us. We can acknowledge that we don't feel like we're in the presence of God. We can acknowledge that we feel like he's forgotten us and casted us off. We can acknowledge those things, but don't live there, if I can encourage you this morning. Don't stay there. Because the longer you stay there and dwell on that, you start to forget his goodness and think that, man, God really isn't that good to me. That there is no hope. There is no way out. And we start to lie to ourselves. 
While those times of feeling as though God is far from us or hiding from us, we must trust in the truth of who we are in Christ. I want to read Psalm 27, 13 and 14. I love this. Just a couple of verses here again from the book of Psalms. Psalm 27, 13 through 14. Listen to what he says here. Psalm 27, 13 through 14. I would have despised, I'm sorry, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. He says here, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. And then what does he say again? Yes, wait for the Lord. I I love what David says here in his words in Psalm 27. I want you to notice the key of how proper belief in God will strengthen us to endure. Do you see that? Proper belief in God will strengthen us to endure. He says, I would have despaired. I would have fallen apart. I would have broken down. However you want to say that for yourself. But I realized something. I made sure my belief was appropriate. He says, but I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. How in the world can I wait for the Lord? We need to be strong. We need to take courage. We need to believe that he is the God that he says he is. And when my heart wants to speak against him or make me believe lies about him, I remind myself with proper belief, proper thinking that, no, he is good. He is good. I can be strong and I can wait for the Lord even though I don't understand. Warren Worsby says it this way in his commentary in regards to this idea of waiting for the Lord and proper belief giving us strength to endure a season when we don't feel like it. Says this, we should never doubt in the darkness what God has taught us in the light. We, have, we should never doubt in the darkness what God has taught us in the light. See, the reality is we're not always going to feel like we're in the presence of God. We're not always going to feel this or that, but that's okay. You're not alone. And, and when you start feeling these ways and trying to convince yourself that, okay, maybe God's forgotten me. God has cast me off. Don't stay there. No, we need to remind ourselves of proper belief in God. This is where, to be honest with you, the word theology in a lot of churches today is a bad word. Doctrine is a bad word. No, 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 no. We don't need all that doctrine and theology and teaching. Just just give us the feel-good stuff. Just help us feel good. Tell me more about how Jesus loves me. I don't need to know anything else. Just tell me Jesus loves me. Well, here's the thing. You know when you tell someone that Jesus loves them? Do you know what that's? called? That's a teaching. You got that from the Bible. Because if you look at your life, you would not come up with Jesus loves me. Let's be real for a minute. We on our own accord and our own thinking without the interjection and intervening of God's holy word, we would never come up with God loves us. If anything, we'd go the other way. No, no, I know me. I know how jacked up I am. God can't love me. We have this book and we still don't believe it. We have the truth that he loves us and we still don't believe it. See, we need to make sure that we have proper belief. And I don't know what happened in the church, but there was a shift away from teaching, doctrine, theology, the basis of these things, understanding in an appropriate lens the truth of God's word, and it started shifting to the feel-good stuff. 
Just give me the goosebumps. I just want to leave church feeling good. I just want to be encouraged and uplifted with just some feel-good stuff. I'm not opposed to feeling good. I'm not opposed to God lifting us up and helping us to feel his presence. I believe that happens, but we got to put it in an appropriate lens. The only way I truly believe that we will enjoy God's presence fully is if we fully understand what cost, uh, what was cost to God to give us his presence. And that's, that's understanding God's word. We don't have to stay there. We can allow the proper belief that God has taught us through his word to give us the endurance to get through a season where we don't feel like it. And isn't it funny, what, what do you tell your kids when your kids say, I don't feel like it? I always love when my son tells me that. I don't want to go to school today. Why? I don't feel like it. Well, I don't feel like feeding you today, so I guess we're just going to have to see how that goes. <laughs> you might say, come on, you don't tell your kids that. Listen, I'm real with my kids. Look, I don't feel like that. Well, I don't feel like giving you bread today, so I guess you're just going to have to deal. No, like, I don't feel like allowing you to watch my TV. Like, so where's that going to go? Come on. If we really... None of us live really by our feelings. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever woke up on a Monday morning and said, I don't feel like going to work? Raise your hand. How many of you went to work anyway? Because the motivation was there, right? I want to eat. I like heat. I like electricity. I like having a roof over my head. I enjoy clothing, gas in my vehicle. These are things we need. So even though I don't feel like it, I do what I know I need to do because I know this feeling will pass. Well, maybe for work, not always, but <laughs> usually. But we don't, we, it doesn't work. None of us really understand that to be the way we actually live our lives. But yet we do this to God all the time. God starts knocking on your heart. Hey, it's been a while since I've seen you. I'd love to talk to you a little bit this morning. Oh, God, I don't feel like it. I'm too tired. And we just push through and we get about our day. And he knocks on our heart. I want to I hear from you. Let's spend some time in prayer. God, I just don't feel like it. Your neighbor is in need. God impresses on your heart and opens a door of opportunity that you can serve them. God, I don't feel like it. I'm so busy. See, we use that to God, against God all the time. But we know really that's not really how we live our lives. And so don't stay there. Don't let that, that misunderstanding of what you're thinking and feeling lead you to distrust God or not follow through. So let's just t jump right in. Why don't we always feel God? I'm going to give you kind of a bait. Now, this is not exhaustive. Okay, this is not the only reasons. But I believe I can give you just three simple reasons why we don't always feel God. So the first thing I want to let you know, and some of you, this might hit a little closer to home than others. And I'm not going to look at anybody when I say this because I don't want anything I'm thinking about you because I'm not. I'm just going to keep thumbing through Scripture here so I can keep kind of setting this up a little bit so you guys don't think I'm talking about you because I'm not at all talking about you. Why don't we always feel God? Well, the truth is maybe you're over-sensationalizing it. Maybe you're over-sensationalizing it. John chapter 6 and verse 30. John chapter 6 and verse 30. John chapter 6 and verse 30 says here, they said, therefore unto him, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What does thou work? Verse 31, our fathers did eat man in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What's, what's going on here? 
They're saying, hey, hey, listen, that's great. That's great. We want to believe. So what trick are you going to do for us? What hoop are you going to jump through for us? What, what little sign are you going to do for us? Come on, we, we're not going to believe unless you prove it. You've got to show me. And then I love what they do. What did they do? They got scriptural on Jesus, right? You know Jesus. I don't know if you know this. But in the Old Testament, they had manna from heaven. And they believed. Did they believe when the manna came down? They're, I like how they're omitting that part. The rebellion, the disobedience, the constant rebellion, the constant disobedience, the constant whining. Really, manna again? Could you imagine any women in here? Manna. Like, how many ways can you make that, really? You guys do leftover nights? We do leftover nights at our house. And the boys are always like, what are we having for dinner? Leftovers. Ugh. What are we having for dinner? Chicken. Chicken again? No, it's fine. We did it different this time. We just put some Italian dressing on it and we baked it in the oven. It's totally different than the chicken you had two days ago, which was basically the same thing, just a different seasoning on it. But it's still, it's totally different. Could you imagine being a woman in this camp and you walk outside and you're like, manna. What am I going to do with manna today? Okay, we're going to have manna cakes, right? We're going to have manna sandwiches. We're going to have cold manna sandwiches, okay? Well, I don't, what, what do you do? I don't even know what manna is. But anyway, when you look at this, they're trying to get scripture on Jesus. And what are they really saying? Show us something. Do something. We want to know. We want to see it. We want an experience. When you see this happening here, it happened in Jesus' life over and over again. When you understand that Jesus got to a point in his ministry where he said, look, nope, I'm not a magician. I'm not going to keep doing these things for you. And I love that about Jesus. Why? Because that shows us he's not an on-demand God. Nope, no more tricks, no more miracles. You know what? You just want a little show. Fine. You want a sign? Here's a sign, a sign of Jonah. There's your sign. He just got to a point where he said, no, I'm not doing it anymore. Because the miracles weren't to entertain. They weren't to, to a magician just to entertain people. They were meant to show and demonstrate that he is truly the son of God. That he is God himself and he has compassion for his people, for his creation. But we do the same thing in churches today. We've always wanted a sign, a proof, a tangible expression so that we may believe in God. Even when we share the gospel, hear me now. I want you to put this in perspective. Don't mishear this. Even when we share the gospel, we tend to tell our story and express the change Christ made in us with adjectives related to our feelings or how it felt. This isn't bad, but I think if we aren't careful, we give the wrong emphasis in the gospel. We say things like, I've never felt so different. I never felt that kind of a love. And we emphasize the feeling aspect of how it felt. I cried. I couldn't stop crying. And then we're sharing the gospel with somebody, and they get saved, and they have a different feeling because it's, God is unique to that individual. And they don't cry. They don't feel all these warm and fuzzies inside. But they have logically and consciously chosen to repent of their sins and trust in Christ. They have been saved, but different feelings. You know what they're going to think? I didn't do it right. Because my feeling wasn't expressed the same way your salvation experience was expressed. We emphasize the wrong aspect of the gospel, and we can actually even mislead people. I want to give you an example. And this is just one I just heard in the last week. So it's crazy how this is. And maybe you've heard this, and I'm not knocking it, but I want you to hear what I'm saying here. I heard a testimony this last week. I was listening to The Message, a satellite radio, Christian radio station. And I was listening to that. 
And uh, as I was listening to it, they give these little things where people will call in or text in like stories, you know, like how the message has impacted their life, how that radio station has made a difference in their life. And this guy, it was like a voicemail kind of a thing. So he calls and he says, I just want to let you know, you know, uh, living on the West Coast at one time, and I was, I'm not really into Christian music or anything, you know, and I was, my wife used to listen to the message and we, we had separated, uh, we were planning a divorce or whatever. And for some reason I had it on the car and I was just listening to the message. And then, uh, I, I got the impression his wife does maybe Christian music or something. Cause he said he was at a, a show, a concert, like in California and his wife was there and I'm getting the impression that his wife was singing or something. And he said that as he was at this concert, he couldn't stop crying. Like the whole night, he just was weeping and weeping and weeping. And then he said, I just want you to know how big of a difference your radio station has made in my life. Now my wife and I are working it out, and we're trying to make things work, and I'm just so thankful for your station. And I listened to that, and I thought, my first reaction was, praise God, that's so cool when I hear couples working it out. Okay, that's awesome. But then I was like, well, why were you weeping? What... what what change? Like, what message was spoken to you? Where was the gospel and all that? Like, I'm glad that you felt something. I'm glad that this guy and his wife are working things out. I'm glad that he felt a change of his heart. But what moved him? What spoke to him? Now, we can assume, oh, there was gospel music and the Christian music. But he didn't say that. What I took from that was you went to a Christian concert, heard some music, cried, and now you're working it out with your wife. Where's the gospel? Where's the truth of God's word? Where's the, man, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. He awoken me to my sin. I realized that he didn't make some changes. And so I repented of those things. And I went to my wife and I pleaded for forgiveness. And I said, I'm so sorry for what I've done. Let's work this thing out and see if God can restore our marriage. Where was that in the testimony? But you listen to that and I guarantee you people go, it's so nice. It just makes my stomach feel all warm. I'm not, look, listen, I'm being sarcastic because I'm trying to make a point. We feel things, and that's great. But we don't emphasize the feeling. We emphasize the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because listen, whether you feel saved or not is not the question. Are you saved? That's the question. Do you know Jesus Christ? That's the question. God is not a goosebump God first. Although he may work in ways that causes us to sit up and think, wow, that's amazing. So hear me now. God is not a goosebump God first, but he may work in ways that we start to recognize and have feelings of expression and go, man, God, you are amazing. Let's stop looking for an experience with God and be content in the experience of salvation in Christ, which keeps us with God. I want to say that again. Let's stop looking for an experience with God and be content in the experience of salvation in Christ, which keeps us with God. See, we, we, we get saved, and then we think, I got to keep having these mountaintop experiences. I got to see signs and all these things. And we just hunger for them. We hunger for them. And God's saying, listen, just be content in Christ. And things will come into your life. There will be moments where you'll say, wow, God, I can't believe you did this. God, I can't believe you answered that prayer. God, I can't believe you healed so-and-so. God, I can't believe you moved in this way. Man, what an amazing God you are. And there's going to be an emotion to that. And that's fine and that's good. But that's not first place. No, God, I am yours and you are mine because you gave your all for me. And if I don't feel the experiences 
that other, people's are, other people are experiencing? If I don't have these every week on Sunday morning, amazingly, isn't it amazing? On Sunday morning, God, I just feel so close to you. Well, you're gathered together with God's people worshiping him. We should feel close to him. We should feel close to each other. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not first place. So why will I not always feel God's presence? Well, maybe you're over-sensationalizing it. Maybe you are looking for an experience instead of looking for the Savior. But secondly and quickly, maybe your heart is hardened. Maybe your heart has grown hardened. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 15. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 15. It says here, For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have closed, they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Verse 17. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you have seen, or which you see and have not seen them, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. See, what we're saying here is that, listen, there are people that are sitting in church that their hearts have just grown hard. They've had church experiences. They've been in church their whole life. They know what it is to be in church, but maybe you've never really truly trusted in Christ. Maybe the reason you don't feel anything in God's presence is because ultimately you're not in God's presence, meaning you're not one of his children. Your heart is hardened. You've heard truth. You've heard the gospel, but you've rejected it. You've hardened your heart against it. Or maybe you're a believer. You know Christ. But situations, experiences, negative things in your life have caused you to try to start rejecting these things. And I I just don't want to... I just don't want to trust anymore. I don't want to believe these things anymore. And, and it's not that your heart, not that you lost salvation, but in your heart you begin to say, no, I'm just, I'm just done. And the Bible calls that quenching the spirit. You're not really in tune with God anymore. You just kind of feel distant from God and you're, you're hardening yourself towards the things of God. To be honest, this idea of hardening our hearts towards God, it hits home. Maybe you aren't feeling connected or close to God because you have chosen to let your heart grow cold or apathetic. Maybe God wasn't the on-demand God you wanted him to be and you stopped spending time with him and now you say you feel nothing when you pray, as seldom as it may be. You feel nothing when you sing, even though while you're singing you're dwelling on other things. Or you feel nothing when you're reading his word, which you do out of obligation or do so very infrequently. Maybe the reason you're not feeling anything is because you've grown cold. You've grown apathetic. God wasn't the on-demand God you wanted him to be, and you just got angry and said, I'm done. And now when you come to church and you sing a song, you just stand there and you think, this means nothing to me, whatever. Because you're just, you're cold. You've allowed apathy to creep in because your distorted view of God wasn't met, and therefore you've got frustrated with that God, and you're taking it out on the real God. You don't really read the Bible like you used to, and when you read it now, you're like, I don't really care. I do it because I'm supposed to do it as a Christian, supposedly. And so you do it infrequently, and you just kind of thumb through, and 
There's no intimacy. There's no connection because you've grown cold. And again, maybe you're here this morning and the reason those things are happening isn't because you're a believer who's gone apathetic. You don't even know Christ. You might say, come on, I've been in church my whole life. I'm sitting here. I've heard the gospel. You're telling me you don't know Christ. You don't know my heart. You're right, I don't. And that's why I'm telling you what Paul says. Work out your own salvation between you and God with fear and trembling. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I just try to be reminded of this. One of the, I say scariest, but not that I'm scared per se, but my, maybe one of the verses I'm most concerned about as a pastor is in Matthew. And Jesus said, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Man, listen, in this life, we make a decision on Christ and it will affect your eternity. And you can play church. You can do all the things. You can come here. You can even raise your hands and worship. Praise God. But if you don't know Christ as your Savior, none of it will forgive your sins. None of it will give you salvation. You might say, I just feel distant from God. I don't feel like I'm in God's presence. Well, maybe because you don't know Christ. Or maybe because you're a believer that has grown cold because God didn't do what you wanted him to do. So what do we do with that? Let me ask you this. If you're not a believer this morning, what do you want to do about that? Here's the amazing answer, by the way. You can today, right now, in this moment, receive Christ as your Savior. You don't got to take a class. You don't got to join the church. You don't got to come up here. Right there in your hearts, if you repent of your sin and trust in Christ, as he says in his word, he will save you. So you can make that decision today and be ushered into the presence of God. And not just today, but for all eternity. But what about the believer who's here today that is just cold and maybe distant? Well, I want to encourage you with what John writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. What did he tell them? What was the issue? He goes on, you guys are doing all these great things. You're doing all this great stuff. You're good, you're good, you're good, you're good. But I've got this one thing against you, Jesus says. You have lost your first love. You've left your first love. A church founded by the Apostle Paul. A church founded by the Apostle Paul. Uh, uh, the book of Ephesians, we read and we read all these things that they're doing well. And yet John is recording for us in Revelation the words of Christ, you have left your first love. They had drifted into doing church without connecting with the Lord in their hearts. Could you imagine that? They're doing church. They're being the church by reaching the community. They're doing these things, but in their hearts, they've lost their first love. They've left it. They, they're just cold in that relationship. So what's my encouragement to you? What Jesus' encouragement is to the church at Ephesus, if you hear these things and you repent, and you can turn from these things, and you can fall in love again with your first love. You can go back to Jesus Christ and say, I'm sorry for my drifting. I'm sorry for my anger. I'm sorry for distrusting you. I'm sorry for all those things. I just pray that you would, you would show me again the truth in your word that I can know you and you know me. And let's just get going. Thank you for your grace that forgives. Thank you for the ability to repent. So maybe the reason you don't always feel God is you're over-sensationalizing it. Maybe your heart is hardened or maybe your heart is apathetic, depending on where you find yourself. Or maybe, lastly... God wants to draw you closer. God wants to draw you closer. One more passage I want to look at together. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Very cool verse. Takes place in an amazing back and forth uh, between Paul and some in Athens. Acts chapter 17 and verse 26. Acts chapter 17 and verse 26. 
It says here, the Apostle Paul, again, speaking to some that have gathered on what's called Mars Hill in Athens, and he's explaining the need for the gospel. He's building an amazing case for their need for the gospel. And look at verse 26. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. Man, don't we need to hear that today? Man, do you imagine, can you imagine how little we would have prejudice against one another? How little we would hate another people group, another person? If we would believe what it says right here in verse 26, hath made of one blood all nations of men. Listen, that person who looks different than you, thinks different than you, worships different than you, they're not your enemy. And I'm always amazed at how negative and how destructive the role the church has played in our, in our history in spreading prejudice and hate against other people. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing that we can preach the love of Christ and then we say, well, I don't really like this person or that person because of their skin color or their background. It's amazing. He says here, And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Verse 27, That they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. You know, one of the reasons you may not feel God's presence in your life is because God is actually using that as a way to draw you closer to him. God is near to all of us, even those that don't know Christ. Isn't that a crazy thought? He's near to those that don't even know him. He's always desiring repentance. Because why? Last week, he is always loving. He is always loving. God is near to every one of us, but we don't always feel that that is true. But maybe God is using a season of seeming distance to encourage you to trust him. In this verse, we read the word feel. And when we read it, you might get the impression that we must seek him with our emotions. However, that is not the best use of the word feel here. Another translation says it this way. God did this so they would, that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for, for him and find him. Wow, I didn't think I was going to get that out. God did this, let's try this again, so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from every one of us. The word there means, the word feel, means to handle, touch, or feel. Metaphorically, it means mentally to seek after the tokens of a person or thing. I want to seek after this thing. In my mind, I'm seeking after God is what it's saying here. God is saying, I've made you. I've created you. I've set the bounds of your habitations so that you would seek after me. Now, we know sin perverts. We know sin corrupts. We know sin distracts. But God is saying, if you would put the effort in, if you would seek after me, you will find me. Why does he say it so confidently? Because he says, I'm not far from any of you. If you will seek after me, you can find me. This is what John says, the Apostle John says in his epistles and his gospel, that they were firsthand eyewitnesses of Christ, that they have seen, heard, and handled the truth, 1 John 1.1. It is not an emotional journey, but an intellectual journey. We seek after him and find him by handling the word of God to be able to, quote, know that he is Christ and we are his in Christ. He's trying to grow something in us. He wants to draw us closer. So in conclusion, I want to ask you these couple questions and we're going to pray. And 
be dismissed. And I, I want to say this. If you have a notebook or a Bible or something, you can go ahead and put that aside and kind of maybe take this time to get that ready so we're not, you're not distracted by that when we're praying in just a moment, if you would do that. Husbands, if you borrowed your wife's pen, please give that back at this time. <laughs> Don't put it in your pocket. It's not yours, okay? But I want to ask you this morning, can we, can we open up before him? Can we be honest with ourselves and say, God, I, I, I don't always feel you in your presence. And then not just get mad at God because we don't feel him, which is what we do. God, where are you? I don't feel you. And he's sitting there saying, like, I ain't gone nowhere. I'm right here. I didn't leave. So maybe this morning we would actually just say, you know what, God, I don't feel you in my life right now. And then stop arguing with God and getting mad at God, but saying, God, would you give me wisdom in why that's the case? Would you help me to decide, am I over-sensationalizing it? Am I looking for an experience instead of looking for the Savior? Am I, am I hungering for a thing, a, a feeling, or am I hungering and thirsting after righteousness in Christ? Have I, my heart grown, grown cold and apathetic? Am I, just, am I just distant from you? Or God, are you using this season of my life to draw me closer? Because even though I don't feel it, I'm going to seek after you with my mind. I'm going to hunger after you, and I'm going to desire you. So let me ask you these questions. Does God seem distant? Are you basing everything in your relationship with Christ on how you feel at any given moment? If you would answer yes to either of those questions, or maybe both, or you know you've grown cold, or maybe you know he's trying to teach you something, but you're getting frustrated, maybe you would come this morning. And as David records for us in the psalm, we're just going to wait on the Lord. And God, I'm just going to gain strength from you as I wait on you. Open up to him this morning. Ask the tough questions of yourself. Ask the tough questions of yourself and ask God to reveal to you how and what way you should respond to those things, to those answers of the tough questions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much that you are a God that is not a God of just momentary feelings. God, thank you for being that God, by the way. Because my feelings are fickle. My, my emotions are, at times, Lord, drastically different from day to day. And I am so thankful that you are not bound to your promises, to your faithfulness, and to your love, to your gospel, by how I feel about those things. I'm so thankful that when I don't feel close to you, that you don't cast me away. But I'm so thankful that your word says that you have never leave us or forsake us. And I pray, Lord, that we that are in a season right now of feeling like you're distant, that we would not uh, just get angry with you or blame you for that, but we would step back and say, okay, Lord, what can I can control in this situation? What, what choices do I need to make? What decisions do I need to make? Have I grown cold and apathetic because you weren't an on-demand God and therefore I just started growing cold? Uh, maybe, God, I need to really evaluate if I even know you or do I just know about you? Maybe I'm looking for something that isn't really even a fair expectation. Maybe I'm basing my relationship with you on how I feel rather than the truth of your word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Or maybe, God, 
I just need to open up before you and say, I'm just going to wait. And I'm going to ask you to strengthen me as I wait. Father, may you be glorified in all these things. And may you give leading, guiding, direction, and wisdom as we open up to you and desire to be shown what we need to do as we move forward. Help us to apply these things to your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? We want to take a short time of invitation this morning as giving you a chance to respond. If you want to come and pray as an individual, uh, husband and wife, mom and dad, whatever, however God is moving, maybe you would come and just bend the knee and say, God, I know this is where I'm feeling distant and I need you to help me in this. Maybe you don't know why you're feeling these things or not feeling the presence of God like you once did. Maybe you'd come and say, God, help me to trust you even though it's dark right now. If you want to pray with someone, there are those here in the front row that would love to pray with you and encourage you through a word of prayer. But would you respond to God this morning as we just worship and sing praises to him?